Hey, it's Alex. I'm recording this message two days after I recorded the original podcast that you're about to hear. Uh, and I'm coming to you now because I have a quick quick update. Um, the podcast you're about to hear is all about crowd investing. And in it, we invite our listeners to become investors in Gimlet Media. And the update is that we are fully funded. We got $200,000 worth of investment in a matter of hours. It was pretty amazing. Uh, but just keep that in mind as you're listening. We are now fully funded, uh, and we have no more room for new investors. So just keep that in mind as you're listening to the show. All right, here's the show. All right, I don't want to hold this though because this is heavy, and I'm not. Is that on both sides? Yeah, it's on. From Gimlet Media, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and you're listening to The Tool Belt, a podcast for amateur carpenters and home repair enthusiasts everywhere. Just kidding. You're listening to Startup, the podcast miniseries documenting the launching of my podcast company. It's the business origin story you never actually hear set down in real time. And this is the sound of my co-founder, Matt, and his friend, John, a sound engineer, building a recording booth with their bare hands. John, did you design this? No. Who? I don't know. We never really did design it. We just started building it. Yeah, we drew it on some napkins. <laughs> and then we st- <laughs> we bought a bunch of wood, and then we did one wall, and it looked good, and so we kept going. There's actually a bit more of a plan than that. Matt apparently studied up on how to build a sound booth by watching YouTube videos. Have you heard about green glue? Everyone loves it. It's apparently like people build studios and you just like slather it on the drywall and then you put more drywall and then you slather it on and put more drywall and then the glue expands to create a little um, like air cavity. Uh, it's designed in this way that it's supposed to as sound comes. It's not like normal glue. It vibrates differently or diffuses the sound. We're building this studio because, as regular listeners know, we've got some money in the bank now. We're getting ready to actually make some shows, which is why Matt and John are here on a Sunday, sawing and hammering and green gluing away. So we have a studio to make those shows in. You're listening to episode seven, by the way, and a lot has led up to this point, this point of an actual physical structure being built. There's been strife, anxiety, drama, money, not much sex, but some cursing. And it's all been documented in episodes one through six. So definitely, if this is the first moment you've heard this podcast, it might help to go back and listen from the beginning. But to recap briefly, after much futility, my co-founder Matt and I have finally started gaining momentum. Investors have come on board. And a big reason, this very podcast you're listening to. After it launched, lots of people reached out to us wanting to invest. For example, a guy named Marco Arment, a programmer who helped develop the blogging platform Tumblr. First of all, I should I should mention I've never invested in anything before, besides like you know the little stocks here and there. But this will be this will be my first investment of this type. So I I'm interested in investing of my own money fifty thousand, um, if that's reasonable. I don't know. And Marco wasn't alone. There were several more big investors who came in after the podcast launched. All in all, we've taken in more than a million dollars in investment. We're most of our way to our one point five million dollar goal. And today on the show, we hope to bring in our last group of investors. You, our listeners. That's right. We want to cut you in on this action. But there are some catches. A lot of catches, actually. So a lot of the people who reached out to us after the podcast launched wanting to invest weren't big-time investor types. Sort of the opposite. There was a mechanical engineer named Mike, a coffee roasting company owner named Tim, and a freelance journalist named Nadia Zonas. Basically, I was getting sort of increasingly excited about your show. And um, as I was listening to the episode where you were sort of enumerating the 
wonderful investments that you were getting from here and there, I suddenly was like, wait a minute, I have some extra money sitting around. Maybe, why not? I could be a small investor in this venture as well. Now, for most of the last century, it would have been illegal for Nadia, or a lot of those folks reaching out to us, to invest in our company. Illegal. And the laws that made it illegal date back to the Great Depression, specifically the Securities Act of 1933, which said, if you, a company like ours, if you're going to make a public offering, i.e. announce through the media that you're starting a company and you're selling stock in it, then you had to do lots of disclosure. You had to do a big prospectus where you listed every possible risk that your company posed. You had to register tons of documents with the federal government. And if you didn't do all that, and doing all that was really time-consuming and expensive, if you didn't do all that, then it was illegal for freelance journalists or mechanical engineers to invest in your company after hearing about it on a podcast. But then, in 2012, all that changed with the passage of the JOBS Act. That act said it was okay for companies like ours, tiny, early-stage startups, to publicly solicit investment from the public at large without going through all sorts of expensive and time-consuming requirements. Here's President Obama. For startups and small businesses, this bill is a potential game-changer. Right now, you can only turn to a limited group of investors, including banks and wealthy individuals, to get funding. Laws that are nearly eight decades old make it impossible for others to invest. But a lot's changed in 80 years, and it's time our laws did as well. Because of this bill, startups and small business will now have access to a big new pool of potential investors, namely the American people. And in the wake of the JOBS Act, a bunch of companies formed to make it easier for startups like ours to access this big new pool of investors, the American people. These companies are called crowd equity companies. And one of them, AlphaWorks, reached out to us several months ago and said, maybe we can help you. I'm Erin Glenn, and I'm in my fourth day as CEO of AlphaWorks. Fourth day. Fourth day. Literally, I relocated from San Francisco last Monday, moved into an apartment. I am living on a blow-up air mattress with two chairs and my dog. So my second week as a New Yorker. Welcome. Thank you. Erin and her team talked us through how it all works. You can think of AlphaWorks as a bit like Kickstarter, except instead of giving money to a project and getting something back, a T-shirt or a poster or copy of the film you helped pay for, with AlphaWorks, you give money to a company and you get an actual ownership stake in that company in return. You become an investor right there in the cap table with Chris Saka and Andrew Mason. And it can be a good deal for startups like ours. AlphaWorks takes on the hassle of managing a large group of small investors, and it takes on the work of making sure everything that we do complies with all the rules in the JOBS Act around crowd investing. And for investors, Erin Glenn says she's a believer in what the JOBS Act is trying to accomplish. You know, if you think of some of the fastest growing companies out there, Uber, Airbnb, Trader Joe's, they're all private companies. So only rich insiders got to invest with them and have access to all that growth. According to Aaron, what's exciting about the Jobs Act and AlphaWorks is that they open up those potentially lucrative investment opportunities to everyone now. Let's make it a fair playing field for people. We're pretty excited about giving individuals access to really cool companies they care about that they wouldn't be able to invest in otherwise. And what would you tell people who are thinking about putting their money in our company? Like what would what because obviously we're different than 
buying, you know, PNG stock, yeah. right? Like, so what's the, what's, what would you tell somebody? You know, I would tell someone... Fourth day on the job, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fourth day on the job. Um, you know, I would tell someone investments are inherently risky, right? And you want to look at all of the investments that you're making. And as passionate as you are about the company and as confident as you are in the founding team and their ability to be successful, investing in a business that doesn't have a track record and doesn't have any revenue super high risk. So only put money in that you can afford to either wait a really, really, really long time to ever see come back to you, or it's okay if you lose it. All right, well, we're ed editing that out. <laughs> <laughs> An intriguing idea, crowd investing. And in some ways, it seemed perfect for what we're doing here. But Matt and I did have concerns. For one, you know, we are risky. And that risk, it can be from things investors might never expect. For example, and this is a bit of an aside, but it's a funny story. Chris Saka, after he decided to invest in our company, he did what most investors do. He wired us the money. You know, he filled out a form at the bank where they enter in our bank account number and then their bank transfers the money into our account. Well, Chris sent us an email saying he'd wired the money, but when we looked into our account, the money hadn't arrived. We went back and forth. And Eventually, it turned out somewhere in one of the banks processing this wire, someone mistyped one figure in our bank account number. And as luck would have it, the mistaken number was also a real bank account number to someone else's bank account. Here's Chris Saka. And so our wire went to a business in Gardenia. <laughs> and when Matt called up and said, hey, where's your wire? And Serena was like, I got the confirmation number. Here it is. And they tracked it down. By that point, the business had already taken out a bunch of it. Oh, my and God. So we lost $33,000. And it was a J.P. Morgan Chase account, and they won't even tell us, like, the address, uh, anything about it. They won't give us the contact information for that. They said it would violate the privacy of the people who took our money. Oh, my God. And so they, only, they did tell us the city, so we're able to get the local police on it. The local police weren't even convinced that it's a crime to receive somebody else's wire and spend the money. So, as of today, I still don't. And I had to personally cover. So, as of today, I still don't have my thirty-three grand back. Oh my god, you're kidding! But that's that's why our wire was late. So, point number one: if you're wiring someone money, triple check the account number. But point number two: investing is risky in ways you can't always anticipate. But Matt had another concern as well, besides the risk. AlphaWorks is set up to accept smaller investments, sure a grand, five grand, 10 grand. But small is, of course, a relative thing. For most people, $5,000 is still a lot of money. I'm a listener. I'm like, I make 35 grand a year. Um, and Alex is asking me to give him $5,000. What? Like, fuck him. That's not what, that's what makes me uncomfortable. Our relationship with listeners ultimately is the most important thing that we have in this company, period. Mm. Full stop. And if, and if this creates discomfort or alienation, that's a really bad outcome. On top of all that, there was another part of old securities law that the Jobs Act was supposed to change. Old securities law said that in order to invest in a non-public early stage company like ours, you had to be what's called an accredited investor, meaning you had to make at least 200 grand a year for two years in a row, or you had to have over a million dollars in assets, not including your house. So in other words, you had to be, by the standards of most of America, pretty rich. 
The Jobs Act was supposed to relax that requirement, make it possible for the non-wealthy, if they wanted to, to invest in startups like ours. But, and this is a big thing, the part of the Jobs Act that was supposed to do that, to relax that accredited investor requirement, has been stuck at the SEC for over a year. The Securities and Exchange Commission, a part of the federal government that's supposed to write the rules around new laws like the Jobs Act. No one knows when the SEC will finally issue the rules, relaxing that requirement, but until it does, the JOBS Act is in this weird limbo. The part of the law that makes it possible for early-stage companies like ours to do public solicitations, that part is in effect. But as of today, to become an investor through one of those public solicitations, you need to be the exact same rich person you were before the JOBS Act was passed. In other words, this part of Obama's announcement about the JOBS Act It's not really true. Because of this bill, startups and small business will now have access to a big new pool of potential investors, namely the American people. What Obama probably should have said was a very wealthy minority of the American people. So there are still a lot of regular people who are not allowed by law to invest in our company. That listener we heard from in the beginning, Nadia, she does not qualify as an accredited investor. We broke the news to her. It feels very frustrating. I mean, I feel like I have an ability to manage my finances. just seems sort of strange and and patronizing for, it is a government agency, right, the SEC? Yeah. For a government agency to tell me that uh, even if I feel that I can afford to do this, in fact, that's not okay and I'm not allowed to make that choice. So, So Nadia, how long have you been a libertarian? I just became one today. <laughs> I'm so not a libertarian, and this is maybe one of the first times that I've felt like government interference in my life was uh, sort of offensive and unwanted. Right. Is that something that you wonder about? Like, why is this rule in place? Absolutely, and how old it is, and... Like, I don't really trust that this is, like, a really rational, well-thought-out rule. Coming up, we try to get to the bottom of why the SEC is still coming in between Nadia and her desire to make a risky investment in us. And we get some help from my old friends at Planet Money after this word from our sponsor. One, two, one, two. Okay. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so we are going to get to the question of why the SEC is blocking people like Nadia from investing in our company. But before we do, I want to just shift gears for a second and talk about what happens at the end of the workday, most days at Gimlet Media. So most days, I get done doing an interview, say that interview with the MailChimp creative director we just did take off my headphones and tear out of the office in order to get home in time to relieve the babysitter and get the kids bathed and into bed. Usually, my wife, Nazneen, is working late. She does that most nights. We usually see each other for an hour before bed or so, and then the next morning, I rush to get out of the house as early as possible to squeeze a couple more hours into a day that I know has a hard out at six in the evening. And this is the routine. It has been the routine for about six months since I started the business in earnest. And one weekend evening... Nazneen and I sat down to do something we don't get to do that often. Check in with each other about how it's going. How am I feeling about the whole business? Um, I'm feeling like uh, if it doesn't kill me, it's going to be great. (laughs) That's really how I feel. (laughs) Like it's going to be great. I just might die (laughs) in the interim. (laughs) Um, 
Hold on, I have to go put on more TV for our kids. You want to watch a Peck Plus Cat? TV. My wife and I would never You're be able to hold a conversation without it. Okay, our, our, our children are eating white flour in, in front of the television. So wait, so wait, yeah, tell me about your, yeah, tell me more about it if it doesn't tell you. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's harder than, it's not even harder than I thought. It's just, it's not, it's not like, I guess I thought it would be hard because I wouldn't be sure if it's, if it was going to work and I'd be worried and I'd be worried about money and I'd be worried about all that stuff. And I am worried about all that stuff, but it's not, that's not why it's hard. It's just, I just was used to you being able to pull a little more than your weight, even when it came to parenting. If I asked you to do something like sort of last minute, like, oh, can you take Calvin to school? The answer often would be like, oh, sure. Or like, Samira's sick. Can you take her to the doctor instead of me? You'd be like, oh, sure, no problem. But like now the answer is always no. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's, that's the difference. And it sounds like a subtle difference, but I just feel like now I can't even ask you because, because I know the answer is going to be no. And I can't, and I like get mad at you, but I can't even get mad at you because... I under like the answer has to be no because you have a bunch of stuff that you're doing that's like legitimate things that you're doing, you know. So like, and you don't have any time either. Well, it's not. I, no, ha- I mean, you I, don't. I do. I have more time than you. I just then it just means like my life is just solid blocks of like kids work, kids work. Like there's just nothing. There's nothing in the middle. there is something to do about it which which i which i worked out yes no i know no yes i know so, like getting more help from 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 family like specifically your family because my parents yeah. still work constantly i mean my mom when i when i brought up the idea of like coming out here for regular visits where she would stay for a week she said yes so fast like i think she was like literally had been waiting for us <laughs> to ask that it's She's so, so fun. funny to have a family that waits for you to express your feelings and then reacts to those feelings <laughs> like I've just never had a family like that. <laughs> instead of like a family who's like shoving your feelings into your throat <laughs> imposing their imposing yes. every single desire onto you <laughs> yeah you know what my mom said on the phone to me this weekend my mom was like why don't you just move to California the, the house next to ours is for sale <laughs> that's that was my mom <laughs> I was like okay bye I gotta go Samira's throwing up on me. Bye. So this is one of the more awkward transitions I've ever written. But back at work after the weekend, I got back to the business of trying to figure out what is going on at the SEC. Why are they delaying the rules that would allow regular people to invest in a company like ours? And to do that, I took the train up to the Planet Money Studios in Midtown Manhattan and checked in with my old friend and colleague, Jacob Goldstein. You've heard him on this program before. I talked to him on the phone about this question. Why can't a listener like Nadia invest in our company? What was behind the delay at the SEC? And he'd been spending the last couple of days digging into the question. He started at the source, the Jobs Act itself, or specifically the Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act, mm-hmm. Jobs Act. Yeah. And what we're interested in is actually Title Three, Capital Raising Online While Deterring Fraud and Unethical Non-Disclosure Act, C-R-O-W-D- F-U-N-D. Crowdfund. 
<laughs> Amazing. I mean, they have a computer program now. That there must that. Be, there's uh, probably like some 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 person. Give it yeah. to Maury. He'll make an acronym out of anything. So Jacob said he'd called around to all sorts of folks, investor trade groups, other crowd equity companies like AlphaWorks, various consumer protection organizations. And he said that, yes, the SEC was more than a year overdue in getting the rules written that would allow someone like Nadia to invest in Gimlet Media. And part of the delay, he said, was simply the SEC has a lot of rules to write right now. After the financial crisis, there'd been a lot of laws passed, and lots of them required the SEC to write the specific rules that would enact those laws, so there was this natural backlog. But, said Jacob, there were forces at work that may have been trying to delay the SEC when it came to this particular issue of changing the law in someone like Nadia's favor. So, Alex, when you posed this to me a couple days ago, you had this theory, right? And your theory is there's some kind of whatever, powerful cabal of moneyed interest that profits from slowing this thing down, that profits from the status quo and does not want ordinary people to be able to invest in your company. Right, right? exactly. And like, here is the person at the center of that cabal. I'm Barbara Roper. I'm director of investor protection for the Consumer Federation of America. Consumer Federation of America, that could be like a front, right? We know how we know how money to The Consumer work. Federation of America. Okay. So it turns out the Consumer Federation of America, their board is like the Public Interest Research Group, which is co-founded by Ralph Nader, Consumers Union, which is like Consumer Reports. Mm-hmm. So basically not a front. Actually trying to protect consumers. Okay. I talked to her, she was at her house. My dogs are barking like crazy in the background. I have two, Annie and Darcy. What kind of dogs are they? Mutts. Mutts. Pound rescue. So that's your villain is the (laughs) director of uh, investor protection at the Consumer Federation of America who rescues puppies from the pounds. All right. So, no, and and let me say a few things. Barbara Roper's name did come up a bunch. I talked to a lawyer. I talked to trade groups for investors. I talked to people who are in the crowdfunding business. And a number of people mentioned her by name. To be clear, Barbara Roper says she is not trying to slow the process down. Mm-hmm. But basically, she thinks this is a bad idea. She thinks this thing you want to do, what the law says, is a bad idea. A market that brings together inexperienced issuers with unsophisticated investors and harnesses the power of the Internet for hype is one that is likely to experience a very high volume of problems. And let me just get this straight. By inexperienced issuers, <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> that would be you. Uh, what was the other one? Something investors. That would be all of your listeners who think this is great. And I think she said the power of the internet for hype. That would basically be your show. Uh huh. And then high rate of failure. I, I mean, I hope you don't fail, but, you know, you might. So here's the political dynamic, okay, as it was explained to me. People who are consumer advocates, they looked at this and said, regular people are going to get hosed. And they persuaded some some people in Congress, particularly Democrats, that this was something to worry about. So you have an SEC where already they got too much to do. And now maybe you have some political people, maybe you have some senators saying to the SEC, you know, you got to put something at the bottom of the list. Why not put the crowdfunding part of the Jobs Act at the bottom of the list? Uh huh. Here's the question that I have, though, is sort of like, if you want to lose all your money on a bad investment, there's myriad ways, like we could open up an E-Trade account right now, you know, buy some stocks that are all very likely to go to zero. We could blow all our money right now. Sure, we could play the lottery. I mean, so there's an interesting argument about this part of it, right? Like the 
caps on investing are paternalistic, right? Paternalistic is a loaded word, but it clearly is mm-hmm. saying like, we're going to protect you from yourself. Right. And like, that seems debatable. I mean, if a grown up wants to put all their money into a risky company and possibly lose it or possibly make a lot of it, you could argue over whether it's the business of the government to stop them from doing that. Right. I mean, if the same rules about my investors applied to me, I would not be allowed to start this company. Right. You would not be allowed. Wait, you got a great job at NPR. We, the government, are not going to let you quit your job to go do this thing. Yeah, it might work out great or it might totally fail. We're going to protect you from yourself. If you consider all the stuff that everything that I've invested, the pay cut that I've taken, the amount of the amount that's riding on this for me, there is no way under that same rubric I would be allowed. The government would let me do this. No way. I don't want to weigh in here on the question of who's right. Is the SEC tipping further into a nanny state? Or is it helping to keep small investors safe from internet-based startup snake oil salesmen? I'm glad that the government didn't stop me from taking this risky step, but who knows? Five years? Maybe I wish they had. I doubt it. In any event, right now, the government is stopping some of you who might want to join me on this journey from doing so. But some of you are still able to. And so we have decided, after much deliberation, to go forward with this plan. There is this undeniable appeal, right, that our listeners, sure, a narrow band of our listeners, but our listeners nonetheless could be part of closing out this round, finishing up this part of the journey with us. So, as of this moment, we are making this newly legal public solicitation to you, our listeners, to become partial owners of our company. Now, I take Barbara Roper seriously, and I don't want to be selling people on this with hype. And so, here it is, a frank and clear-eyed call to action. Maybe you believe, as we do, that we are entering a second golden age of audio. Or maybe you just love great podcasts. If you share in our vision and you want to share in our business, you need to go to alphaworks.net. Our link goes live at noon, Monday, November 10th. We have our pitch deck up there, other documents. The minimum investment is $1,000. The maximum is ten. dollars If you're not sure whether you're accredited or not, there's a little more to it than what I've laid out in this episode. Go to the site. It'll help you figure it out. Alphaworks.net. Alphaworks will also have people on hand to answer questions you may have about the mechanics of how all this works. We look forward to closing this chapter in the story of Gimlet Media. And we look forward to doing it with investors who have been with us as listeners from the beginning. Also, we look forward to getting on with the next chapter, the business of making great shows. And more about that in scenes from an upcoming episode. Hey, and this is Alex again from the future, two days after the recording that you just heard. Uh, And again, just a reminder, like I said in the beginning, the response to this podcast was amazing. And we got $200,000 worth of funding in a matter of hours and So this portion of the seed round is now fully funded and and closed. Thanks to everybody who did invest. For those of you who thought they might want to invest or participate, rest assured, we are going to find many opportunities in the future to continue to involve our listeners in what's going on here at Gimlet. So stay tuned for all of that uh, in future episodes of Startup and the other shows we're getting ready to launch. All right. So now back to the program. We're going to get to scenes from the next episode of Startup after this word from our sponsors. Coming up on Startup, you know, it's been a lot about raising money for the past couple months. 
But the whole point of this whole enterprise is to make new shows, right? For that, you need to hire people, which is also difficult. I have a list in my pocket of questions. Okay. And that list is not short, as you can see. Uh-huh. But, um, but we're not here to say no. That's coming up on an upcoming episode. To subscribe to the podcast, you can find us in iTunes. You can also check out our website, herestartup.com, H-E-A-R, startup.com. Our website was designed in partnership with Athletics. You can check out their work, H-E-A-R, startup.com. You can also find out everything you need to know about the music we used on today's show. Mark Phillips mixed today's episode and wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. Editing help today by PJ Vote, Alex Goldman, and the amazing Lisa Pollock. Our show was produced by the amazing Caitlin Roberts. You can follow us at Podcast Startup, or you can follow me at Avex Lumberg. I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of Startup. Startup.